Hello and welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. This is Scott Minton. I'm your host. And today we have uh, Toby Hatfield back with us today. How you doing today, Toby? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Hey, I uh, wanted to go back over. Um, we recently got back from the Spirits of uh, French Lick and we met with Alan and Very Jolie. fun trip. Uh, dude, it, it was a blast. Um, uh, that podcast uh, went a little bit more south than I would have liked the last 10 or 15 minutes, but I, I had a blast there. Now, I think everybody that was there enjoyed it, and, I, and, and I'm hearing a lot of great responses back from the podcast. So I think that uh, it was it, it's going to get the attention that we, we hope to with. Um, I, I agree 100%. But what I really wanted to do, just with this episode, um, I told them we were going to call this one Inside the Bunghole because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going a little deeper because it, it literally, I mean, the podcast lasted like a little over an hour. Um, we had some great conversation, um, but we really didn't get to talk too much about, you know, the facility there, kind of what it looked like, um, what we did kind of when we got off mic, because once we got off mic, uh, if we remember correctly, like we tried a few more barrels and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the facility, again, on the backside, you know, we had lunch and, you know, they had a, a thrift store or not a thrift store. They had like a gift shop, gift shop and store where you could buy things. So wanted to just kind of discuss those things so um overall what was your initial thought as far as you know the actual facility like the mash tunes that were built out the the double boilers and yeah i didn't know what i didn't know what to expect when we got there um i didn't know what type of facility they were going to have and i was really impressed with all the different types of things that they had with um having he went through three different stills and of course the naming of each one um but I didn't realize uh, when we were going that it was going to be this big of an uh, operation. So they, they have a, a, a significant operation there, and you can tell that they can produce a, a lot of good uh, product with, with their current facilities on, on, the, on the spirit side of things, not even counting the winery. Right, absolutely. Uh, and that and the, the, they had the one, the rickhouse that had, they said, a, like somewhere between a 25 and a 40 degree, mm. like, temperature option that was kind of on the back side of the facility there and then they had the rick house which was across the street which we didn't tour that but he talked about how it was um probably wouldn't get below like 20 degrees there but it wouldn't get over like 110 so it still would give them even more variation in temperature that would uh we would typically think of when we think of a rickhouse yeah and i think they have the space there as well on the back side of the where that second rickhouse is to be able to add additional rickhouse rickhouses as they need space because it looked like the one that we were in were, was almost full and i'm assuming the other one's getting close to that as well yeah no i i agree with that 100 percent. so uh, it, it was a really cool setup i like you said you know he went through naming the different um stills that they had the the four that they had total they had the little one gallon still dirty diana <laughs> and then they had the other ones which i thought were really neat because they all had like their own little neat idiosyncrasies about them um but they were all pot stills which for me i mean I, we've been to a couple of different places and most people do do pot stilling um or a, a lot of people do pot stilling but we're more um, adapted, I guess, to looking at the column stills. Sure. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of neat. The fact that they had so many little pot stills in there and they could run so many different things. And one of the things I found, uh, found really interesting is the differences between the stills. And he explained a lot of, uh, 
the differences um, between the difference between a column steel and how you can produce certain things um, usually more consistently, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to get the different flavors. And he was explaining how that, that he had a, it wasn't a copper uh, steel complete. It was just a copper top and then it had the steel or the, the steel bottom or aluminum bottom. I don't can't remember if it was aluminum or stainless steel, stainless steel. Um, but it definitely gives different, uh, flavor characteristics. So he's going to be able to produce things that are different than everybody else. That's going to use a standard copper steel. All right. Um, one of the other things that kind of, uh, was neat to me and, and, and I'd never heard anybody explain it this way was the fact that with a pot still, especially, I mean, even the weather affects it, like whether it be the rain or the moon, you know, just however things are that the way that the condensation fits on the inside and, and, and things like that are all so heavily affected by the weather. And, and I, I just would have never thought that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you're going to be able to, the, the products that they're going to be able to create are going to be different than you're going to be able to get at other places because they have unique steels. And when you have a unique steel, you're not going, and he even mentioned that, and that's not what he's going for, is to create a product. I need to turn around here, get a little bit better up into the mic. Um, he doesn't want to create a product that's so consistent that you get literally the exact same thing every single time because he wants to be a unique, more of a craft style um, distiller. So you're not going to um, open up a bottle and then two years later open up a bottle that, that tastes exactly the same and has the same characteristics completely because of the steel and the way that he does things. Right. He said that all his stuff will have variations, you know, um, or at least slight variations. He said it won't be as consistent as your big distillers because of the fact that they are all pots. So I thought that was super neat. Um, one of the other things that I really enjoyed while we were there was the fact that, um, just the team there was just really cool, laid back. Um, you know, uh, Joe Lee, the, the marketing director slash salesperson. I know that that's what he said, but she's really just the marketing person. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just really refreshing when you go someplace and everybody is, is, as laid back as they were, even the owners. I mean, Ms. Doty came in um, and she was just like, hey, welcome. She was bringing us drinks, bringing us tea, yeah. coffee. I mean, whatever we needed. And and that that's just so unique, I feel like, for uh, a place that's, that is, that's becoming that established. And then also that is that type of business to have people that are just down home, you know, good folks. Yeah, I, uh, I I thought it was kind of uh, unique when she was coming in bringing us water and and coffee and it 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 just uh, shows you what type of environment that they have there. They're they're got the freedoms to be able to um, be yourself. Obviously, with the way that that Jolie and um, um, Alan was on the podcast, they they were themselves. They they weren't trying to be the, the, the corporate um, distiller and marketing director. They were the ones that the people that you can trust when they tell you they got a good product is because they're being themselves. They, right. They're creating something that they are passionate about and creating a good, good product. And when we first walked in, um, Alan was sitting there in that bottling line and 
we were talking to him about that and he goes is that something you'd want to try like yeah that's exactly what we would want to try and <laughs> and i don't know how much he's even tried it because during the podcast he was uh enjoying it as much as we were oh a- absolutely he was i mean I-, I could at least count maybe four to five times that he went back to that same bottle and matt even said you know he's been to a lot of different tastings and and events where, you know, the distiller is there and they're with them. And he said, I've never seen anybody go back that many times. That, But it was a really good product. I mean, that, that high rye with, finished in that port barrel, was mm-hmm. it was just amazing. I, like, we were like, can we buy this? And they're like, no, not yet. <laughs> yeah. And they, I thought it was and they neat. explained that process, the bottle, the, the bonding process and how they have to pay taxes and when it comes in and out. So if yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that, because I think you listened a little bit more because I had to go to the restroom. Yeah, they had a, a whole bonding, a bonded section. It was all fenced in and it was all boxed up. and But it was before the process of them being able to, out, able to actually put the, the, the product on the shelf or shift it out. Um, so it, it was it was neat to see where they would go on from one uh, process to the next. And, and it's not just the, the, the same environment. It didn't seem like I've been on a, a lot of different, um, distillery tours. This didn't seem like the, the standard process of we're going to do this, then this, then this, and then kick you guys out. Right. Um, they were able to teach us about the, their bonding process and, or explain it, and then he went into the detail around uh, the history of the French Lick brand and the uh, the Indiana bourbon and 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 how its history is almost as deep as as Kentucky bourbon is. And now, even though um, there's a lot of people that that are traditionalists that think that if it's not made in Kentucky, it's not bourbon, even though, of course, we know no different. Um, their entire facility um, oozed the the structure in which they're creating something unique, which I'm, I, I was really, I was really impressed overall and really enjoyed myself. Not only that, but Alan was a real historian about bourbon. Like he understood and he knew, and I mean, he could talk about, you know, E.H. Taylor. He could talk about heaven Hill. He could talk about all those products and, and heck even they had pictures of, uh, old distillers that were, you know, from Indiana that, and it was funny cause even one of the pictures, if I remember correctly, like had an old Kentucky wagon in it. It was made sure. in Louisville and you could see the barrel in the back of it. And there was a barrel up, um, on the top of a rick house that had had caught fire, but this was one of the, you know, barrels that had made it through that fire. And it was just really neat. The fact that they were just so engrossed with, you know, all the history that comes with bourbon and he embraced that whether it was on like he i think he called it uh northern kentucky province or something mm. I, I can't remember the exact verbiage of it and and i made a joke about it being called indiucky because we always want to put indiana first and and i just thought that was great the fact that they really really tied the heritage in on both sides of the river because he said you know we make a lot of great products he goes but you know indiana was under prohibition for so much longer as mm. far as from the church aspect of it, not the the government aspect of it. So yeah. therefore, it wasn't as readily available or, or made um, legally in Indiana as it had been in Kentucky. And, and different things that around the process in which they tried to essentially kick um, distillers out of the business because they they didn't want the product being made. So they made they made other laws that basically allowed that would cause you not to to be able to stay in business like 
Um, I don't remember the details, but it w- it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I remember this story. Yeah, because it, it was a. Uh, let's just say me and you went in. We got drunk at a bar, and I shot you and killed you. They didn't. They didn't arrest the guy that poured the drink. They didn't arrest you. They they arrested the guy who distilled the drink, saying that it was demon water or whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. It was it was the maker of it, not the the because he wouldn't have done it if he wouldn't have been drinking. Right. Well, yeah. If if you wouldn't have made this this demon water, then you know he. <laughs> so it, it was those type of rules that kept them from being able to continuously make uh, a product over time. Now, I also enjoyed the fact that um, when we set up for the podcast, we were directly in the middle of their, their in, the internal rickhouse, like you mentioned. Um, so we got to, it, it felt like this is what um, a bourbon podcast should be. Right. We it wasn't in the it wasn't in their restaurant which they could have set up. It, we we did it before the restaurant opened. It wasn't in their um, winery section where it was a little quieter or anything like that. No, they wanted to put it directly in the middle of their rickhouse, which it, it just felt um, right for the podcast. Not only did it feel right, but it smelled right. It just it just had everything that you would want in that atmosphere of it. Yeah, as soon as you walked in, the smell that it, that. The oak, the the sourdough. Yes, absolutely. You could have that that beer smell hit you right in the face as soon as you walk in, and the deeper you got, the stronger that it got. Yeah, Uh, and they and they were able. They did turn off the fan, so it wasn't quite as loud, but but it it did. It it just gave such a great atmosphere for us to sit in there and 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 talk through the whole process, and and it was really enjoyable to be able to do that piece. and then as, after we, you know, did the podcast, then we went in and, and Alan's like, you know, hey, you guys have been great. You know, I've really enjoyed this. He goes, l- l- let's try a few more things. And Matt's like, well, all right. And you don't have to twist our arm. So sure. we tried the sherry barrel back there that, you know, that he said that they made a, a, a sherry that was kind of off profile, even though it's not technically sherry because it's not made in France. But um, he's like, well, let's distill it and see what happens. And it turned into a really good product. Um, but it was aged, and I think he said in a port barrel or, or in some other barrel mm. that he had gotten, um, from Copper and Kings that before it was at Copper and Kings, it was at Woodford Reserve. And that was really, you know, it was tasty, um, but it was super hot and, and it just had lots of just different notes to it. So I, I was really impressed by that. And then, um, you know, as we were walking out, he's like, oh, and there's one down here that I think you all should really try and really just drills a hole in the side of the barrel. <laughs> You know, pours a big Glen Karen full of it, and we all try that. And so, it, just the hospitality of you know what they were able to do and, and and how they did that just made me feel really really good about that as a, as an aspect of a place that you really want to go and hang out. Yeah, and I have a feeling that it won't be the last time that we show up there because not only are they going to hold that bottle for us that we can go pick up in March, um, I think it would be a great thing time to go back and 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 see what else they're doing then and, and, and maybe expand the conversation a little bit more. And, and I'm sure that, uh, uh, if they welcome us back, that we would be more than happy to go back and do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, not, not to mention, you know, we, we, the food there was excellent. I mean, we all had different pizzas and we had a really, really nice charcuterie, you know, board that was meat and cheese and honey and, and uh, everything else there. I, mean, I don't so. remember the the cheese that they had on there, but I, I've we we were in uh, Costco or Sam's yesterday, 
And I, I, I was walking around trying to find that cheese because yeah. I want to find that cheese that they, they had in the restaurant and if it's even, even available because right. it was amazing. Yeah, it was some kind of aged cheddar. I, I really, I, I'll, I'll, I'll DM them and try to figure out what those cheeses <laughs> were because they really were good. But it, they, they, um, they came out with the cheese and um, the meat trays uh, prior, but he also mentioned that the um, the dough was made fresh with um, a yeast strain was like from Naples, uh, Italy. Naples, Italy. Yeah, so they're they're using the yeast uh, strands and the the, the fresh made dough, um, and it was a very very good pizza. Um, I had a couple pieces left over, brought them home, and my wife ate one of them and was talking about how great it was, and then my daughter ate the other slice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think Matt killed his on the way home. Yeah, yeah. No, I and Becky did the same thing. I got, we got home that day, and um, I th- I threw it in the in the refrigerator. And Becky's like, "Is this pizza?" And I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Okay." So literally, she just starts mowing on it. I was yeah. like, "Oh," she's like, "This is really good." So, but it, I was surprised when we got there uh, when we first went back before the the gift shop and the restaurant opened, and they have a giant uh, tasting bar in the yes. restaurant so people they it looked like they could uh, sit i don't know 40 50 people around that bar uh, to do tastings for the wine tasting and and they had a, a significant gift shop there so you can look around and they had all the different types of uh wine and 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 their their spirit their spirit line was available for purchase there in the gift shop as well um but there was all different kind of things that were unique where they were they were trying to use the um, the idea that that they are from Indiana. They are from French Lick. It's not um, something where they were trying to say, well, we're also as good as you. They were just saying, hey, we're different. This is what we do. Right. It, it was very reminiscent of uh, going to one of those places in Kentucky that served like Kentucky Proud products. It, it was that way for Indiana. You know, they uh, had the fact that, a lot of that stuff was made in French Lick or in Dubois, Dubois or Dubois, however you want to pronounce it. I know it's Dubois, um, or Orange County. So it was really neat to see that aspect of it to where, you know, they, they were really super proud and really um, going into the fact that everything was kind of in that farm-to-table type thing. Sure, and one of the other things that he mentioned that I think is a um, different than anybody else. And he, he mentioned angels envy though, too, was where they wanted to, to, um, be a conservational, uh, mindset with regards to the Oak, because they don't want to, they don't want the Oak to go away because Oak is a critical piece of bourbon. Right. Um, so they wanted to make sure that that's going to, to remain as a staple, um, in their agricultural product. And he was, um, he was big on agricultural processes right? Um, from the way that he would grow corn and the way that they would source corn. Well, they had their own corn, you know, they had their own corn farm. They had 30 acres that they, you know, grow their own corn strand. So that way they can keep things as, as local and as fresh as they possibly can. That's just really cool when you think about it. Also the fact that, um, like you said, the, the whole conservation of wood, you know, he said that with working with Zach Cooper down in uh, Kentucky that, he said after they use a barrel, you know, they use it for bourbon and then they would use maybe use it again to 
age maybe like some port wine or things like that that he would also send it back have them shave off an eighth of an inch or whatever and then rechar it and then be able to use it for something again so yeah i I just love the aspect of you know them really taking full effect on hey let's make a great product but also reuse recycle and, and and go back to the basics as far as what we could do to to make this a more sustainable organization and then a more sustainable product sure and i've been to a couple distilleries uh tours like peerless and peerless's technology was amazing the way that they can um, track everything and everything was computer operated nothing was done in, in a process of old school way where you're going to taste and try and they probably still have the tasters and they um it would make sure but everything that was done it was all uh, very technological he seemed to have everything in his head this is this is what i know this is what i've learned this is what i was taught this is what this is what we believe is going to be the best product and i can't imagine that he's not going to be able to produce some things that when you have this bottle, you have a bottle that nobody else has because they may only produce a hundred bottles or something that tastes like this. Right. And, and the, the challenging part is someone who enjoys the product is it, let's say that the bottle that we were talking about that, that we were trying there and we go back down in March and pick that up. We're never going to be able to have that bottle again. So you're we're never be gonna, exactly like that bottle. Yeah, exactly. And and he may not produce anything that's even real close. Um, but because the it, it was a three year old bourbon that then was then um, I think it was then blended with another three year old bourbon that then was aged in a in a port barrel uh, or finished in a port barrel. Maybe from now on, everything is going to be four year. It's going to be five year because now they're farther along. Right. So the bottle that you're going to have, um, when you finish it, it's gone. Um, and, but that's what you're going, that's the type of product that you're going to be able, be able to get from them. Right. Well, he also said that that was going to be the case, like, because we talked earlier, you know, the the difference between a pot still and column stilling, you know, there's just, there's variations and, you know, when weather can change those things or the moon phase or, or, or whatever, you know, things he were, he was talking about with that aspect of it. Um, it's really nice to think about the uniqueness that they can offer in a situation like that. Yeah. I, um, I enjoy French Lake. I've been down there several times. I've taken my son to the hotel with the water park indoors um, we've been down to the casino and the, the West Baden hotel. Um, I have a feeling that going forward, when people go to French Lick, there, that's going to be a staple of where they're going to go. They're not going to go just to the West Baden hotel and the casino. They're going to start. I want to go over to the distillery and, and do, um, a wine tasting or uh, a tour of the distillery and a product tasting there. Um, I remember when we were walking out, um, somebody was buying um, gift certificates for somebody for Christmas to do a wine tasting for someone else. Because I think that that's going to be uh, a staple of French Lick now. And it's it's very it was very interesting being uh, being able to see 
where they're at today, and I'm going to be looking forward to see where they're going to be at in a few years. I, I could definitely see us having a guy's trip, going up playing golf um, in the morning, hitting the casino, you know, um, for a couple hours, then maybe going over and doing a, a, a tour of the distillery, you know, drinking some good bourbon, then going back to the casino, hanging out, and then, you know, whatever else goes on. But uh, I, I just – I definitely can see that as being a cap, uh, capability – and then you could have, you know, your spouses with you even too. And, you know, they could do a wine tasting while you're doing the distillery tasting. Or they could, you know, like you said, it's it's just such a nice resort atmosphere and there's just so many things to do. And, and I was shocked with that, you know, being the case with it being such a small, small town in southern Indiana. Yeah, I definitely, I was telling Shelly about the cheese. And she loves the sweet wines anyway. And they have a sweet blackberry and a sweet um, um, uh, table red that that she likes anyway that we get we get from kroger um so i think that she would actually enjoy going back and doing a full wine tasting um trying that cheese and meat trays that we tried um but i have a feeling in two years from now um they're going to end up having to expand or having to to kind of blow out the back because they need more space um especially with uh with being able to store all the bottles that they're producing right and even alan and and jelly even said you know uh kind of in that front corner of the building that they'd like to eventually get to a point where they might have a cigar bar or something like that to that way they can almost do like their bourbon tasting in that area so that way kind of a really cool you know area for the for gentlemen to go in and hang out for a couple hours not just come in and do get in and out so yeah, I, I really like the idea of the cigar um, bar as well because um, I'm new to cigars. I don't know anything about them, but I enjoy the process of hanging out with a drink and a cigar. Um, and and Because it, it, if you do it right, it, it'll take you 20, 30 minutes to get through a cigar. It's not something that you're going to suck down like a cigarette. You're not going to hotbox it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not be able to do that. I would be choking and, and everything. But it it's... Uh, it's it's something that um, it's a unique experience. People people see somebody smoking a cigar. It's it's not the same as smoking anything else. Right. So um, if they were able to add something like that, I think it would definitely um, spread the uh, the ability to to uh, get more people to come and and, and that make out. it more of a day affair right like i mean Absolutely. you could spend an entire day there you know if 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 they did as much expanding as as some of the stuff that they talked about doing so that gives them a really really you know unique atmosphere so no the, so overall um again i don't think that i had more fun on a podcast so far since that one because they were being themselves everybody was having enjoy an enjoyable time um they um they they let loose and 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 i think that that's the kind of podcast that um will be hopefully the ones that we'll continue to produce um whether we're going to another distillery or um, going back to some place like that but hopefully we'll be able to produce more like that because i really really had a good time with them learned a lot from alan uh jolie was great in um everything she was doing she understood um even though she's she's a marketer for the the entire facility 
wine and everything else, she understood the spirit, the spirit piece of it and how it could be the future of the distill or the, the whole company. Right. Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I thought overall it was a great trip, great time and uh, really enjoyed what I learned through that process. It was definitely a different look at how a distillery works um, from old Forrester and angels envy and, and Evan Williams and, um, all those other ones that I've been to. So it was really definitely a unique experience to see that kind of inner workings of it. Yeah. And to me, it reminded me of, of, of a peerless, a smaller, um, process, a, a smaller company producing smaller amounts. They had the rick houses inside the facility, but it seemed to be, um, even though, Peerless has had a long, uh, long-standing bourbon history. Um, I can see this brand being something that that will to will will match them going forward because I think that they're going to produce things. And, and Peerless isn't producing seventeen different types of projects like uh, that Alan talked about. Right. Yeah. No, I I agree a hundred percent. So overall, it was a great trip. Um, some other things I wanted to cover this week was, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we get together periodically being buddies and everything else and, um, partake on a, a drink here and there. And I wanted to get some feedback on some of the stuff we tried this past week, you know, the Michter's toasted, mm -hmm. um, 1792 foolproof, you know, kind of get your feedback on, on, on those, on those beverages. Yeah. I, we, uh, we had the a Christmas party and, and you were, a very gracious host saying that you're willing to to break and open any bottle that you had and you had several that that anybody that that knows anything about bourbon would love to open um but i was like no let's just go ahead and get into one that we we can all enjoy and and i think the one that you opened was that mixture mixtures toasted it was um it was probably one of the smoothest drinks that i've had in a very very long time um it had a great flavor it was it was very enjoyable not to um it didn't it didn't kill you right off the beginning it didn't have that long finish that that just killed you where it's getting warm all the way down to your stomach um it had just an overall great feel to it so it, it was definitely something i enjoyed um i understand now why you you really wanted to get a hold of that bottle <laughs> yeah and the funny thing is, is, you know, as good as the Michter's 18 was, um, that we, we drank the, the 14 was even better in, in, in my opinion on the 14, especially it, uh, had a little bit more in the, in the palate taste, uh, as far as when it first went in. Um, but it, it just, like you said, just super smooth. It's just a, it's a really, really good bourbon. Um, I, I, look forward to the next batch that they put out. Mm -hmm. I do hope it is 2020, like the rumor that I've heard. Um, but, uh, Michter's is, uh, throwing us a lot of curveballs. I mean, literally, I think they had it in 14, 15 and 18. So, I mean, it, it's not been consistent as far as when they're releasing it. I wonder why that's the case. You know, I don't know. I, I think it just has something to do with the fact that, you know, they're, they're making other products. And I think that also, uh, I don't think they, um, when they started toasting some of their stuff, I think that they decided, Hey, I'm, let's do the toasted rye or Hey, let's do the toasted sour mash. Like we already know the bourbon has a cult following. What other products can we make? That's on that toasted side, limited release, um, that could, uh, do that, you know? So 
I'm actually going to uh, be in there over this week. So I was going to, you know, I was actually going to ask him, like, so wh- why did you all decide not to, you know, do a continuous release of this um, and uh, see if I can get an honest feedback to answer on that one? Yeah, and it's, it's nice that they're um, so close, too, so you can get you can get down there. Like, I, I, I work two blocks away from the Fort Nelson, so it gives you an ability to get down there and, and ask those kind of questions. Yeah, you, you need to start popping in there more often around, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon it, se- it seems to be about two thirty, three o'clock doesn't it yeah almost I, <laughs> at least once a week there's a release of something that's tasty and desirable <laughs> maybe, uh, in that time frame maybe what i'll do is just start taking taking a walk around two thirty every yeah. day just walk down there at three o'clock just on a daily basis just yeah. I'm gonna go get oh, some air oh i found a mictor's 10 or oh i found a mictor's 10 rye <laughs> <clears throat> It would be a very expensive walk, but uh, it would definitely be worth it in the taste department. Well, and and that one of the things they talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in the uh, during the the French Lick Spirits of French Lick uh, tour and and the podcast is how everybody's chasing that those five bottles. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the thing about what you're talking about with Mictors, I don't think they necessarily fall into that five bottle range. No. But they're 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 producing some products that that people are wanting now that that are a little bit more available, but it's not it's not the the pappy and it's not the the Weller and it's not the Blantons, it's uh or or the BTAC collection. It's it's more of the they create a good product over here and I want that product. Right. People drink it. Not not only that that um it's it's enough readily available that like i said you know if, if you pick the right day of the week and you get there at somewhat the right time i mean they're generous enough that they'll let you buy a bottle of each so mm. you know you could walk out of there like when i the last time i was there and, and i was a, just happened to be there at the right time we were in the tasting bar and they said hey we're we're putting some stuff out downstairs and we walked down i, I got a mictor's 10 a mictor's 10 rye a toasted um, rye and a toasted sour mash all at the same time. Now, did I drop five hundred dollars? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I don't know what the retail price on any of this. Everything they have that's in that toasted slash Mictor's ten category is in you know one hundred or higher. So I mean, it's between one and one fifty a bottle. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's not it's not their entry level fifty forty nine ninety nine product. Um, so I. I'm anxious to see, you know, how that all plays out, you know, long-term, especially as they re-release some of the other stuff. Sure. And that kind of gives uh, another question that just popped in my head. I mean, do you think that those bottles that are a $100 bottle can retail? Um, Peerless's rye is about $100. Um, even their bourbon, I think, is almost 70 just standard retail, and it's not. it's only a four-year-old bourbon. Um, do you think that those types of, uh, higher prices are going to, to maintain, or do you think it's going to be the bottom's going to fall out of this and, and all of a sudden all of these prices are going to drop back to it was 10 or 15 years ago? I think that some of it will be, I think it actually will be a blend of both. I think some things will be able to stay at a higher price. And then I think some things will actually go to the point where it will, be cheaper because I think that they will have enough of that product in reserve and it will have that they'll, ha- they won't charge as much because they have more of it made. Yeah. Cause 
it, it blows me away when you see products like a Blanton's that that's a it's a $45 $50 retail standard and it's been that way for a while and then over the last year and a half two years it's getting into the 60 65 70 dollar range retail right um they're not doing anything different they're probably producing a boatload more than they did a few years ago they're not aging it any longer than they did um it's just a process in which they have decided we're going to allocate this a little bit more specifically and, and it created a demand in which people are now um, willing to pay a little bit more because they know it's not available as much. I, I think it's a little bit of that, but I really honestly think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they didn't know bourbon was going to explode in markets like Japan and Europe. Um, it, if you look at the sheer amount and, and I've got a friend that works in the distribution network, um, for a couple of, for a major distribution company in Kentucky. And then I've got one that also was in Indiana and they said that, you know, orders in the U S are actually growing, but nowhere near as astronomically as quick as they are in the European or the Japanese market. And the big problem is there is because most of the bourbons that you or I like, or that, the general public that those bottles that you're chasing, they weren't ready for the demand. Like, and when something takes six to eight to 10 to 16 years, when you get up in that BTAC collection stuff, there's just no way of being able to curate enough product and catch it up without either artificially aging it or doing something to make those bottles. So what they've done is they've charged a little bit more I think that I think the thought process there was, hey, if we charge a little bit more, maybe it won't be as you know desirable in some aspects, you know, and we'll be able to make a bigger profit margin off of it. But also, I think it it was one of those things that, hey, we've got to start making so much more of it to keep up with the demand that we have to put more money in reserves to be able to make enough money to sustain the the supply versus the demand. Sure. And I know that they're going to get to a point where they're able to produce enough because I think the production levels today are probably double or triple what they were five years ago. I got to say, I bet it's more than that. I I don't know for a fact. I'm just saying I bet it's probably, I bet they're distilling probably 10 times the product that were 10 years ago. But what that means though is in say, say they started picking up that type of production five years ago. In a year or two, they're going to be on that six, seven-year range where most of their stuff is starting to be able to be bottled at that point. So I have a feeling in the next couple of years, you're going to see products that that two years ago before that are today, the items today that you can't find. The Blantons, the ETL, the Rock Hill Farms. The Wellers. Uh, uh, well, Antique 107, yes, but... Weller 12 is still not going to be readily available for another five to six years, I guess. Well, you know? yeah, Weller 12, but you're going to be able to get the special reserve. Special reserve. Yeah, no, Things I, like that. I, absolutely. I think a lot of those products will be much more readily available over the next, you know, three or four years than what they are right now. Now, one of the things that I'm kind of curious on, too, is we we just named off seven different bourbons that, that they're going to be available a lot more in a few years speculation speaking yeah we we think but what we didn't none of those products were heaven hill products 
No. Uh, they were all Buffalo Trace or Sazerac, Sazerac yep. products. Do you think that everybody's doing that where they're producing a, yes. a lot more? Yes. I, th- I think everybody, because even if you talk to, when I talk to my friends that are in that distribution network, um, they carry other products other than Sazerac, and they'll tell you that all the sales are up. I mean, Heaven Hill's up. But the ET's reason. He's up. Jack, the, Jack Daniels is up. I mean, all of them are up. But what I, the reason I ask that question is, Okay, you got Henry McKenna ten, right? You got Evan, or I mean, um, um, Elijah Craig. They got the twelve year. They got some of the the lower the lower years the and the barrel proof. But other than that, name another bourbon that that Heaven Hill makes. It's hard to find. Uh, I mean, some of the Heaven Hill older varieties are harder to find, like the sixteen year, the twenty seven year. Um, but you're right. I mean, most of the other Heaven Hill stuff. Now, I will tell you the, the some of the bottled bottled and bond stuff now is starting to become a little squeaky. Well, they they the stopped shelves. making it. Uh, did they stop making the green label bottled and bond the six year? Is that what it was? Well, I think it was a white label. One. White label, yeah. Uh, I can't. Uh, you you might be right. I'm not 100 percent certain that, on that. They stopped making it, and that's the reason everybody was sucking it up, buying it for fifteen, sixteen dollars a bottle, um, but buying cases of it. Right. Um, but you you don't hear. Um, any wild turkey uh, bottles that are people that are going out of their way to try to, to go to a lottery and get. Mm. I mean, if you think about the lotteries that we went to, it was around BTAC, it was around Pappy, um, and then the things that people are waiting in line for is Blanton's and stuff like that. I mean, so it, my question is, do you think that Sazerac is not producing enough product or Buffalo trace is not producing enough product to keep up with the demand or they're purposely holding it, holding it back so that there's not as much available because why is it everybody else's is, you can go and get a Russell's 10 anytime you want. Um, you, you can get the Russell single barrel anywhere you want. Uh, you can get Kentucky spirit anywhere you want. You can get rare breed anywhere you want. Kentucky spirit is actually a product that they've really pulled back on. Um, like I don't, I'm not even sure they, they still make Kentucky spirit. Um, I think somebody said that they they had pulled that one from their. We saw one the other day. Well, no, we saw it, but but it didn't Matt say that like they were they were pulling that? And I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. And I remember Josh um, even saying that like the Kentucky Spirit bottles were a lot harder to find than what they they were five or six years ago. But I, I think my overall point is I no, think... I, I agree with what you're saying. Your overall point because I understood it loud and clear is, is Sazerac. Uh, Causing the demand to be so crazy by holding it back or manipulating it. Yeah. Who knows? Because I have a feeling that that now what's going to end up happening is I have a feeling that they're going to, in a few years, when they can then bust out the market, they're going to, they're going to flood it with everything. And you're going to be up in five years. I have a, I have a feeling you're going to be able to go to a store and pick up you and over rip 10. I have a feeling you're going to be able to go get a lot B. You may not be able to get uh, a 15. You may not be able to get a 2023 yet. But I have a feeling in five years, you're going to be able to get that on the shelf. Because I believe that they're what they're doing is, is setting it up to be able to, so that they're still going to, they're going to have it on the shelves. They're not going to do lotteries anymore. And people are going to basically yank everything off the shelf as soon as it but what's going to happen is if you have a RIP 10 or two of them, if you have a couple lot Bs 
and they're not going on secondary for $200 or three. They're not going for any more than $200 or $300 on secondary. And they put one on the shelves at total wine for 120. Nobody's going to, they're not going to pick it up as readily available. Yeah. So I think that's, what's going to end up happening. And they're going to lower because my father was telling me about bourbon being a bottom shelf product. It was never a top shelf product. It was the, it was the one that, that all the poor people drank. It wasn't, it, it wasn't um, nearly as popular as it is today. But, I mean, beer was the same way. Um, you, you didn't have the high-end beers or anything like that. He said when he was younger, you could go and buy over at Ramwinkle anywhere you wanted all day long for $35, $40, whatever it was cost. Right. Um, and, but today's... They're not. They're not making any different product than they did then, thirty years ago. It was just. I, I think the the bubble is not going to bust anytime soon. I think what's going to happen is they're going to produce enough that everybody gets what they want, and there's not going to be a secondary market anymore. I, I really hope you're right because I feel like I've missed out on a lot of really good bourbon over the last you know three to five years that I just didn't know well for one i didn't know the secondary market existed and for two um i'm just not willing to pay <laughs> some of the prices that people will will pay to uh to get a drink of something that's good now i i think it's okay to create specialty products or special products or special releases like the birthday bourbon i think it's perfectly fine to to release the um the BTAC collection once a year and, and have special releases for things like that. And that that's the stuff that should be sought after, but their standard run of the mill products that they just, maybe they're just a little aged a little bit more. I just, I mean, you can go and find, if you walked into total wine or liquor barn today, you can find 15 different bottles of 12 year old bourbon. Right. Why is there's any less, desirable than a lot be i i think it's a lot of its name recognition at this point you know um but also i think that um some people and 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 old dudes will tell you this in their personal opinion pappy today is nowhere near as good as it was when it was stitzel weller yeah i mean that's what they'll tell you now me, I, I probably didn't drink that much of it, you know, 10, 15 years ago to where I could tell you that there was that huge of a difference. Probably you didn't buy any 40 or $50 bottle of anything. No, no. Um, but well, I remember trying stuff. Like, I, rem- I remember having Pappy when I was younger, but I just don't, I, I couldn't tell you that whenever I drank it the first time that I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing I ever drank, you know, for 40 or 50 bucks. You sure. Know? So, uh, I think that's another aspect of where bourbon is gone is the fact that some of those processes and, and uh, some of the gobbling up of smaller brands by bigger brands and them making it more of a not craft <laughs> product um, is also going to change things. And, and that's one of the reasons why when we've talked multiple times that we feel like MGP and, you know, the, the new riffs of the world, you know, that are, are making things uh, a little bit more um, 
craft that it's it's gonna it's gonna be unique and then that's why we were so in, impressed and and had such a great time i think at spirits of french lick was because it's craft it, it's something unique and and i think that's uh what they talked about and and what other people are talking about is millennials are going to drive the market over the next 15 years probably um not not right now but in 10 to 15 years they're going to be the bulk of people that are buying distilled liquor. I have a feeling that millennials right now are the ones that's buying the bulk of it now anyway, because people our age um, are probably, we still want it, but we're not going and, and putting the effort into some of the, even like Matt, cause he's a millennial. Yeah. Um, he's probably more, uh, I mean, right before we started the podcast, he called you about a couple of different things that he was looking at. Yeah. Um, I, you were worried about doing the podcast and he was worried about finding some <laughs> finding bourbon. Yeah. Which is, which is perfectly fine, but you can just see where the, the, um, your, uh, priority is lie. Right. Yeah. There's definitely a, a disconnect in, in those aspects, but, uh, I, I'm really just anxious. I'm anxious to see, you know, what the market does, what happens, you know, what other MGP products, you know, whether it be Boone County, what they're doing out there, wh- whether it's, you know, the, the one single cast nation. Um, I, I'm just excited at where, where bourbon is at and where it's heading. And um, I, I'm just hoping this podcast can get out and reach some of those places. I, I'm uh, Alan was nice enough to send me information on Zach Cooperage and then uh, another company. I have to look uh, uh, at the facebook messenger but uh i'm excited to get out and just visit all those places and just say hey uh what makes bourbon fun to you because that's what this is all about it's all about fun sharing and and uh having unique experiences uh with a beverage that we enjoy yeah i completely agree i think it's great well all right man let's wrap up this episode uh if you want to get in touch with bourbon barrel talk you can email us at bourbon barrel talk at gmail.com or you can dm us on facebook um, uh, we'll get set up for Instagram here soon. As soon as I figure out what I did wrong, uh, cause I'm not technologically savvy like, uh, the Tobster over here. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to figure out where I screwed up. Um, so right now those are our two mediums to get a hold of us is Facebook or, uh, via email. So thanks a lot. Uh, signing off bourbon barrel talk. Thanks a lot.